Welcome back, everyone. Welcome back, folks. And good evening, America. Tonight, here in the Sebi Podcast Radio Show, live inside the broadcast booth of Studio Z. We'll look ahead, back to Divisional Weekend. Derrick Henry and that sledgehammer that he is, the upstart Tennessee Titans, all part of their huge upset that happened in the NFL. Joe Burrow, Joe Brady, Edge O. LSU stands on top of the throne in the college football playoffs and NBA news. This and much, much more with my ride partner, Mike Gray. Up next. Let's get to it. This is Sebi Podcast. going on what is going on world the sebi podcast radio show man look you ready mike right, oh man <laughs> I, how could you not be i was fired up i was fired up before the day started i'm ready now let's get it let's get it let's get it indeed i know i had a, a great weekend from college football uh playoffs yesterday topping it all off to the divisional round this past weekend had a chance to go uh uh, get some time off and go into nature. That's a big thing for me, Mike, you know, uh, taking some time off and enjoying nature and uh, canoeing, kayaking, things like that. So have me a blast this weekend. How about you, my man? Oh, I had a great time this weekend. It was a, it was a, it was a very good weekend. I went up to, went up to New Jersey uh, and, and, and got to spend some time with some good people. Uh, I enjoyed myself very well, watched some good NFL football. Like you said, uh, it was just, uh, I got to work out a lot. It was, it was great fun. It was real fun. I got to enjoy myself around some some good energy, good vibes, and you know it's good that we get a chance to decompress like that and take some time off because um, you know watching sports all the time can make it make it crazy a little bit. So just yeah. step away, step away a little bit. We love that sometimes. Absolutely, one hundred percent. Definitely, our attention span gets glued on those television screens all the time. Time to take off. I know Georgetown covering Georgetown was uh, huge this week as well. I had a couple big wins as well. Oh man, for sure. Yeah, it was it was big time. It was big time. Every last last Wednesday, I got to cover my first Georgetown game when they played against St. John's. Uh, they hosted them at home. It was at courtside seats. Being able to see Matt McClung, Jamarco Pickett, Patrick Ewing coaching, and some of these guys perform at a high level, it was it it was great. It was great basketball. Very in tune. Sebi, I'm not gonna lie to you. Matt McClung is the real deal. I mean, it it was one thing watching him on TV and hearing what he did at you know with Allen Iverson thing and whatnot, but. Watching him live in person. He's a baller, Mike. Oh, he's a baller. <laughs> and he's he's going to do well in the next level. Um, You know, his height might be a concern for some teams, but he's a very good basketball player. Uh, Yeah, and, I, and, I, and I, speaking of Georgetown, they play Creighton tomorrow night, and I'll be there. I'll be, I'll be there covering the Georgetown versus Creighton game tomorrow. So, yeah, jo- covering Georgetown has been amazing so far. Definitely. Every game in the Big East now and moving on forward oh, in yeah. their conference play is always pivotal for the NCAA tournament <clears throat> there for you. Mike, are you ready? Oh, yeah. Because, man, I don't think you're ready, Mike. Are you ready? Oh, you, you have no idea. <laughs> All right, so let's start with the events that unraveled last night in Louisiana in the Superdome. Ed Orgeron, Joe Brady, and, of course, ISO Joe, Joe Burrow, the performance that they did last night. LSU stands on top of the college football throne. 
what they did to Clemson, who'd come into that game winning 29 in a row. Dabo Swinney, Trevor Lawrence, Traffy CTN. We all know the steal. We know what Clemson is about. Early on, Mike, I will admit, Brett Venable. I talked about him. I thought that he would be the X Factor, and he was early. You saw nerves uh, uh, of Joe Burrow being raveled early. Mm-hmm. But when he started clicking, Mr. Jamar Chase, <laughs> Mike Yang won the Belitnikoff Award for no reason. Oh. He really can't be guarded one-on-one. And he made every DB look rather pedestrian last night. I, I thought that it was brilliant with the play calling. For early on, we saw that Joe Burrow was holding the ball quick, and then and then next thing you know, they started getting the ball out quick. They said, we can't let this front get after us. And then he, he started dissecting it. And Mike, this was very huge to me, Mike. He was doing this against eight-man coverages. They were pr- rushing with three and putting eight in coverage, and he was dissecting them. He was just surgical, Mike, just like a doctor. So if you, for one reason, you think Joe Burrow leading this team undefeated season for the second time in program history, if you think one second, Mike, that, him as a Bayou Bengal can't duplicate this as a Cincinnati Bengal. You got something uh, something else coming for you, Mike. He was just spectacular last night. He was absolutely spectacular last night, and he's been spectacular all season long. I mean, the confidence that 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 shows from this quarterback and this team this year uh, is is an embodiment of how great they've looked. Offensively, they were a juggernaut uh, all season long. That's how they were. I mean, no no team had an answer for them. And you just can tell athlete for athlete, matchup for matchup, scheme for scheme, they were better than every other team in the country, especially in the SEC West, going against some of the top teams. And last night against Clemson, we knew that, you know, they were going to have some they, – they had some rough riders and they had some uh, athletes on that team that could possibly match up with this LSU Tiger squad. It, it was no match. It, it was absolutely no match. And, you know, it, watching watching the, the stars on this defense that Clemson has that will be in the NFL – just watching them get rattled, watching them get overpowered physically. This LSU offensive line needs to get uh, a boatload of credit from us because they they were easily one of the best, if not the best, in college football this year. I mean, the holes were wide open for Clyde Edwards-Hilaire and guys of that nature. And when you have a running game the way that they have, the pass, I don't care if you have an eight-man eight man coverage because the passing game is going to be lethal. They're, they're, there's no answer for this offense. They have like a 5-5 five, five kind of offense with all the, the weapons that they have all of, from every position. And they, they showed it again with this Clemson. They had this Clemson team rattled. This is something that Clemson wasn't used to. They're not used to getting big numbers put up on them. But they were going against one of the best offenses in college football history. And that's exactly what we saw. You know, when you have a quarterback that threw for 60 touchdowns in college football, that's unheard of, Sebi. This offensive scheme for Joe from Joe Brady and this and, 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 and what they did was amazing. But you're right. The Clemson definitely had them rattled early on. It was something that Joe Burrow had to get adjusted to because they weren't they're not accustomed to looking that rattled early on. I believe I don't they didn't score a touchdown on their opening drive, which was the first first in a while. So, you know, they definitely got to him early. But once they uh, settled down and got confident and, and that's that's to be expected in a national championship game. They get a little jitters early on. But once you settle down and you, you know, you, you stop getting rattled and you get honed into the game then every, everything makes sense and everything will flow normally. And that's exactly what happened. They look like the, the walking juggernaut that they've looked like all season long. And uh, hats off to the LSU Tigers because they're national champions. Yeah, yeah, definitely for sure. I mean, uh, we could took all the narratives away. Joe Joe Burrow, you know, third-year, third-string quarterback behind JT Barrett. And then, of course, Dwayne Haskins come. He's like, there's no way I'm getting to start. He goes to LSU first year. I looked at Joe Burrow, Mike, last year. This is a completely yes. different quarterback. 
I don't think in 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 my time of watching sports, or even covering sport, I ever seen an individual be so bad in one year and just have dr- a drastic dominance the next year. Yeah. Obviously, you mentioned sixty touchdowns, surpassing Cole Brennan in two thousand six, and what he did with Hawaii. But it's hasn't been done. I, I don't think in all my years of sports, I ever seen such drastic dominance by a guy. And you talk about the skill position players, Mike. I think almost everybody in the skill position players are going to leave. Yeah, talk about Andy sure. Moss's son, Thaddeus Moss, who had two touchdowns. He was a mismatch uh, nightmares with their linebacker uh, uh, last night. And then can't double. <laughs> he really can't double with nope. Justin Jefferson, Terrence Marshall. You got Clyde Edwards-Hilaire off the backfield. It All the necessary requisite of weapons that Joe Burrow had was just put in a place and a position with this scheme with Joe Brady to be successful. And a lot of things we're not talking about this, Mike. I'm going to bring this to you. Could this be the best uh, uh, individual and team performance we've seen in college football history? What LSU did this year is they beat seven top ten teams, including four top five teams when they played them. That hasn't been done in quite some time. And obviously, Joe Burrow statistically probably had the best individual numbers a quarterback has ever done. So when you look at that, how, how do you how, how do you evaluate this for LSU? When you evaluate this for LSU, you have to look at this as, as one of the best of all time, if not the best. Because, I, you know, over the last 24 hours, ever since they won the championship, I've been struggling to figure out what team has accomplished more, what team has looked this prolific offensively than what LSU has, has shown this year. Uh, you know, I mean, it's, it's it's just special. I mean, passing, you can do anything with them. Running the football, you can do anything with them. Like he's, like I said, they have a fab five of weapons. You know, with Hilaire, uh, Jefferson, Chase, Burrow, and Moss. Uh, both Jefferson and Chase had 18 touchdowns apiece this year, and, all, and over 1,400 yards receiving. So this, you're right. <laughs> That's this incredible, Mike. Steffi, that's ridiculous. These are, NFL, <laughs> these are NFL receiving numbers, uh, elite NFL receiving numbers that these guys are doing on the college level. And uh, wow, I mean, when you look back at it, yeah, you have to look at this as one of the best teams ever in history. And to be honest with you, I'm still struggling to figure out who 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 is in the conversation to beat them, uh, to beat to take that throne from them because what they what they put on this year, the show that they put on, we haven't seen something like this in, in quite some time, if not ever. Yeah, definitely there. And then if you look at the other side of the equation, I put Clemson, kudos to you, picking LSU. I, I thought Brett Venable would be the X factor, and he was early. Yeah. Until, of course, Joe Burry, Joe, both Joes figured out uh, what they were doing and kind of exploited with their mismatch of uh, skill position players. So Clemson here, 29 straight. This is Trevor Lawrence's first ever career loss. He comes back next year. Obviously, he'll be the number one pick. There's no question about that. Dabo will still be great. Um, but is this still a, a, a dynasty? This obviously is still an elite team. Higgins will be back. Ross will be back. Um, all these guys will be back for them. Travis Etienne will obviously go into the draft. I, I think he'll be the second running back picked off after Jonathan Taylor, at least on my list. Um, so w- w- moving on forward, where, where does Clemson rebound from this? I don't know if this is a dynasty because, in my opinion, in order to be a dynasty, you have to have at least two peated once. You have to have at least had a back-to-back. And Clemson, yes, they won uh, with Deshaun Watson, lost lost the year, uh, weren't able to make it the following year, then came back with Trevor Lawrence last year and won it. You know, I think in order to be a true dynasty, you have to have won at least three out of four or two or at least back-to-back. And I, I, I didn't see Clemson do that. Clemson is definitely one of the teams that's in the conversation of, you know, who's the face of college football right now because, the way they've done it has been so consistent over the last few years. And the program that Dabo Swinney's built up 
you know, to to compete with Nick Saban over the years has been amazing. But you know, I don't I don't think they're quite a dynasty just yet. But to go from here, I think they'll be fine moving forward in the future. You know, did um, we, but once again, this this game shows that the SEC is clear cut head or shoulders above every everyone else in, in college football because you know. You saw the. Dominance. I would say outside of Clemson, though, I would say I think Clemson could handle the SEC. Yes, yes, certain that. certain teams in the SEC, Clemson can hang with in certain in certain areas, but uh, but but it's like you, Clemson. It's certain teams. It's certain teams that Clemson would would struggle with, and LSU just obviously LSU just had one of the greatest offenses of all, greatest shows on turf of all time on college football. But you know, Clemson definitely uh, the the only teams that that can really knock them off. You see. All the SEC West top teams, and uh, but I think Clemson is fine. I think Clemson is still in the driver's seat. I think moving forward, they continue to, you know, will we'll continue to dominate the ACC, and and that'll be preparation to get them ready for the top teams when they have to go to the when they go to the college football playoffs and so forth. But Clemson will be fine because they're head above shoulders above everyone else in their in their conference in the ACC. So that with that alone, they'll always be in the hunt to compete against the top teams in the country. No doubt, no doubt here. Quickly before we move on to the next segment here, Mike, if you're an old, if you're a Buckeye yes. fan, if you're an Ohio State guy, how do you feel? You had this guy on your roster, spent three seasons. This is a kid that obviously is Ohio guy, highly recruited. He didn't get up much playing time. He finished Ohio State and graduated in three years. Yeah. Obviously, you'll be able to do that. <laughs> you don't get a lot of reps, of course. And then realizes that he's never gonna get a. Uh, 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 a starting opportunity behind Cardell Jones, behind JT Berry. And then, of course, highly recruited Dwayne Haskin comes in and he sees them ahead of him in a death chart. So if you're a Buckeye and you know Urban Meyer, this is the guy that you recruited. And, and how do you feel if you're from Ohio State and not knowing that an incredible talent, probably an historic and dominant talent like this, was in your hands in Columbus. Well, it's easy to look back now that they've won a national championship and he's he's completed one of the greatest football seasons in college as in college football history as a quarterback. It's easy to look back now and say, you know, oh, well, what, what, what we could have done or what we should have done. You know, at the time, it, it was just time to move forward. You know, they moved forward with the person they went with. You know, with Barrett and Haskins at the time, and, and it was time. It was time for uh, if Joe Burrow wanted to be a a great college quarterback, he wanted he had to go somewhere else. But I, I don't think. Uh, Ohio State is feeling some type of way because I think they're looking at all the components that was around him in LSU this year and saying that that is a key reason that has a big a big reason of why he has such a great season. When you look at the offensive scheme from Joe Brady bringing that New Orleans Saints uh, type offense to LSU, when you look at you know the weapons that they had, the improvements of a, of a Jefferson and a Chase, the running back uh, the running back committee that they had with Clyde Edwards and Hilaire, and then you look at the massive the great offensive line of LSU. You look at all these components around. Joe Burrow, they're they're saying, well, I, I mean, he had a he had a great he had a great year. Let's not take nothing away from the brother, but at the same time, everything around him was spot on and almost perfect in order in order for him to, to succeed as well. So I think they're looking at it from a perspective. Well, yeah, he could we we could have had him. And he could have been great for us. He could have definitely helped us and had a, a Dwayne Haskins similar kind of season. But you know it's so easy to say that after they won a championship, and who knows? Ohio State wasn't guaranteed to duplicate the same type of pieces that uh, LSU was able to duplicate and, and implement into their staff and bring on and bring on to their scheme. So you know it's so it's easy to say that after a national championship. But I think Ohio State is looking at it as like, well, you know, he did have a lot of uh, his supporting cast was tremendous and off the charts, and you know he probably could have did great with us. But 
he was elite with LSU, and, and and to be honest, they might be happy for this. They might be happy for the kid. Yeah, they might be happy for the kid for your bittersweet sour <laughs> taste for Columbus fans. But down there in Baton Rouge, the program's fourth national title, first in two thousand and seven. Ed Orgeron, Coach O, the Louisiana native, delivers for Go the Tigers. purple and gold in the Bayou Bengals for sure there as well. But when we come back, Mike, we got to get back in business because we look to the divisional round and look back about what happened, including the upstart, mm. upset Tennessee Titans. We'll discuss about that next slide. Sebi podcast radio show. Hey, folks, even a gecko knows 15 minutes can save you 15% on your car insurance. All of our regional, that's right, regional Geico partners here in the Central Florida area. Don't be going out there in Cali or Anaheim and saying Sebi podcast sent you. Don't do that. Our regional uh, partners here in the Central Florida area, Geico, proud partners here of our proud show here on the Sebi podcast radio show. Mike, what a weekend! Saturday, Sunday, you have the Niners. I, I pick you. We we flipped on that with, with the Vikings, and then the beatdown that we saw on Tennessee against the Ravens. Obviously, we had the Ravens. I I thought it wouldn't be close. We both thought it wouldn't be close, but I mean, <laughs> man, uh, we're gonna have to. <laughs> the Kansas City. We'll get to them later on, Mike. But Kansas City gonna have to see twenty two. Kansas City going to have to see that big back. I, I, I want to tell you this. Three stats right here. Derrick Henry, Mike. First running back to, to rush for 180 in three straight games. Think about what he did leading on at the end of the season. Week 17 against Houston, 211. Against Bill Belichick's uh, uh, defense. They say Bill Belichick takes away what you do best. Yeah, right. That's what Derrick Henry said. 182 on the ground. And then you go into Baltimore. And you top that off on a John Harbaugh team with three weeks to prepare, and you rush and gash them for 195 on the ground. Look, man, the Tennessee was impressive, and, and those were big takeaways for me on Saturday. Yeah, definitely, man. Yeah, you're right, Seth, because I picked the wrong upset. I, I picked Minnesota to beat San Francisco, and then I also picked uh, Baltimore. I should I should have flipped it and picked the other upset because you're right. Uh, San Francisco took care of business as as you know as as they should have. Uh, the defense looked phenomenal. They handled their business, and, you know, they're moving on. But what we saw in Baltimore, what we saw with Tennessee and, and, and Baltimore, do, I mean, I thought that Tennessee had no chance because I didn't think you can go into Baltimore and win a game one, being one-dimensional. But right. that one-dimensional is a special one-dimensional. And that one-dimensional is something that you can take anywhere in the country, go against any football team and go with, and that's a running game. And that Derrick Henry is something special because he's Man, getting positive look. yards. He's getting positive yards every play. He's not going down easily. He's not going down without a fight, and he's balling. So, watching, watching that game, I was impressed. I was impressed with how Tennessee performed, and I was very impressed with how that defense performed as well. 
when you looked at the pressure that, that, that the scheme that they had, they didn't, they forced Lamar Jackson to run lateral. They didn't let him go north and south. They had him going east and west. And when you did, when you did that, that's a scheme for success against Lamar Jackson. Well, I, I mean, uh, Mike, I mean, that's, that's playing with fire too. He still had 144 on the ground. Yeah, he still had 144 on the ground too, but it, it also came a lot, a lot of it came, it, it, it didn't come within the flow of the game, if, if that makes sense. It came, right. it, it came in the flow of, okay, boom, I'm taking away these options, but I'll give that up because that what those quick runs that you're getting are not going to beat me. So that's what Tennessee did. And it was a beautiful scheme because they had the athletes to back it up. And, um, and that's what I took from. I took more so if Tennessee came in there and with a, with a dominated game plan and they stuck to it and they stuck with it and they stuck with Derrick Henry. But also for Baltimore, Lamar Jackson needed this, in my opinion, Sebi. This is something that he needed. He was hearing all the hype, all the noise. He had a great regular season. He was hearing everything about, oh, he, this is one of the best teams in a while. And uh, he got humbled. This this is a humble. Sometimes, you know, I just, you know, we realized literally a few days before the game started, he had his 23rd birthday. The brother's still young. It's a maturation process that you have to get to before you get to championship level. You got to get knocked down a few times before you become a champion. And that's exactly what Lamar Jackson went through on Sunday in the, in the divisional game. He, he hasn't, he has no playoff wins yet. He can, in the playoffs, he gets knocked down. But that's going to build him up to be a champion. Lamar Jackson will be a champion before his career is over because of and he'll look back at these last two playoff games when he struggled and defenses had a significant game plan against him and he'll look back at those games and say I, i'm a champion because of what i endured during those times and uh so i for, for, for lamar jackson you had a great season it was a great it was a great great job by the ravens great job by him to uh to to, to, to just stay a, a true constant professional throughout everything but um th this wasn't his time it wasn't his time yet. It wasn't his time to make make it happen, and uh, you know Tennessee is moving on. Lamar Jackson will have another another time next year and, and keep moving. But hats off to the Titans because they had a great game plan and they stuck to it. Well, I'm glad you made an analogy like this. There's some a couple growing up. There was a couple of movies that really stood out to me. You had Coach Carter. Oh man, remember the Giants, you know, and then remember the Titans, right? And then and then everybody's putting on notice now. The national stage and the NFL is put on notice. Remember the Titans now and this run that I've done. You know, every so much years, it doesn't really happen, Mike, a six seed makes a Super Bowl run. Obviously, Pittsburgh did it with Heinz Ward and, right. and, and the bus. Your right. Giants a, a couple of times. Aaron Rodgers, his first Super Bowl mm -hmm. as a six seed. You know, uh, there's always that time that a six seed or like a wild card team goes in some destined run. And you, yep. you, you get that type of feel now with the Tennessee Titans. But I love this analogy that you, you told about Lamar Jackson, but I look at it in a different aspect, Mike. Okay. And, and I think this is bad for Lamar Jackson, right? The great Mike Tyson once said, kind of like what you're saying in a boxing fight, everybody got a game plan, right? Everybody game plan. Everybody got a game plan until you get hit in the mouth, right? And that's what happened with Lamar Jackson. Not only this season, but last year against Phillip Rivers and the Chargers. Well, Chargers back then, LA Chargers, excuse me. Last year, they had seven DBs because they knew they didn't have Linebackers can keep up with Lamar Jackson. Well, in this game, Mike Vrabel, who you don't really see that happen, right? He outcoaches Bill Belichick one week and then gets and, and outcoaches John Harbaugh another week. That really doesn't. These these guys are quality, one of the top three, top five coaches in the NFL. Right. Yet him and Dean Peace having the ability to be in a in a coach's film room, dialing up schemes to stop Lamar Jackson. And for all of the great things Lamar Jackson has done for his first two seasons, oh, he's redefining the quarterback position. He's doing this, doing that. 
every coach is looking for the next dual threat, Lamar Jackson, this, this, and that. It's still the NFL. You're going to have to throw in the pocket, which they made him do. Yep. Now, Lamar Jackson, to his extent, had a poor game, Mike. Even in the pocket, he threw some duck balls. Yes, he Balls did. that sailed over him. I, I think Kevin Byer, what a great safety he is, Mike. Uh, getting a, a pick. Kenny Vaccaro, he's reinvented his career, Mike, uh, as that free safety position. They got some dogs in there. Jarrell Casey, Wesley Woodyard in the middle. I, I think Tennessee's defense is a thing that we're not getting a lot of looks at because of what Derrick Henry, this historic run that he's in. And then Tannehill. You know, if you're Tannehill, Mike, play action must be nice because that should work every time. Oh, man. <laughs> play That's... action should work every time. Everybody what? should be expecting 22 to get the ball and throw it deep. And what Tennessee is doing right now, I think, can be duplicated in Kansas City. We'll get to them later on again. But for me, I, I look at this as a different way for Lamar Jackson for all the things he's done. Yes, he's young. Yes, he's this. But who says that he's going to get this necessary nucleus of opportunities to get back to get back Baltimore and their runs have only had two buys ever in the John Arbaugh era right mm -hmm. with this great offense that they had they led the league in rushing over 200 yards a game this elite defense that can complement that type of running game that they had who says later on in in Lamar Jackson's career when he gets and enters his prime we'll have an opportunity like this so first two seasons uh, great in the regular season but he's been figured out in the postseason and I think that narrative is going to sail and tailor in his mind next year saying that, okay, the regular season don't mean nothing. I was the Heisman, this, 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 and that. He needs to get over the hump. You don't want to be Peyton Manning in, in the playoffs. You don't want to be Clinton Kershaw. And I think early on in his career, that starts to kind of, you start having those, <laughs> start fighting demons as a young guy. Because later on in career, it only gets harder, Mike. Yeah, you're absolutely right. It does only get harder. But um, I, I think one of the best teachers is experience. And part of, part of you experience growing and, you know, learning about how, how to really manifest in the playoffs and really make it happen is going through it and, and going through losses such as, such as the one, the one that, that he suffered uh, on Sunday against the Titans because he was beat up. You're right. He didn't, make the, he, he didn't look as accurate as he had looked all season. He didn't look as confident and as comfortable in the pocket as he had looked all season because he had went against a, a, an, an elite tough defense that figured him out. And uh, you're right. I think I think you have you have a you have a point when you bring up, you know, how uh, there, there's no guarantee of, you know, having these nuclear weapons and there's no guarantee that you can get back uh, back to this point and be in this position to get in the Super Bowl. But I, I'll tell you, I, I will tell you this. I think that the experience of losing, uh, losing like this will only help Lamar and only continue. Lamar. Like I said, he's only 23 years old. The sky's the limit for this guy. He's only going to continue to get better year after year after year. And even though he might not have the same uh, uh, new, uh, weapons around him, he's going to continue to elevate his game to where he elevates most players around him. So I, th I think it's, it's, a, it's a double sword. It's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's double ways you can go with that. But, yeah, I definitely, I definitely feel like this was a great thing for Lamar. And it's, it looks bad now. You know, it, it sucks now because it was such high promise for this team this year. But looking down the line when, when this is all said and done, I think this is something that he, he will uh, – He'll appreciate this point of his career where he was able to learn from it. Definitely there for sure. Baltimore coming with heavy hearts. After a loss like that, Marlon Humphrey said that his team choked after his Pro Bowl selection that he didn't care about as well. Let's shift to Sunday. Sunday was very interesting to me. I, that's the upset that I had, Mike. Um, I had Houston beating Kansas City. I, I thought with the familiarity, uh, Deshaun Watson, a gamer. 
a Clemson guy. We've seen a high leverage moment. This is a guy that can rise to the occasion. They got on him. They jumped on him quick. 24 nothing. Next thing you know, you look up Mike and things like that never happen. This isn't the uh, this isn't the college game. This isn't the Big 12. You look up the Kansas City Patrick Mahomes were on a 38 to 7 run. And, and so after scoring 24 early, they like I said, everybody got a game plan and then you would get hit in the mouth. <laughs> that game plan runs away and that's what happened. To me, Mike Bill O'Brien is on a hot seat because the the Houston that they folded. Obviously, this where does this go? It always falls on the quarterback, but never on the coaches. I've always said this, Mike. Texans to me have an A plus or A minus level roster. You got the quarterback, you got a decent running back, you have the weapons outside: Stills, Hopkins, Fuller. You have an opportunist, a defense that can get home. We're led by a Hall of Famer like J.J. Watt, but you have a C average coach. And so this has to fall on Bill O'Brien. He, he's he been in the playoff, won the division four out of his six years in the AFC South and has no resume to, and no awards to show for it. They can't get over the divisional round. You, great opportunity early. Great plays. A lot of miscues got Kansas City back, although we'll talk about the brilliance of Patrick Mahomes later. But to me, Houston folded and made me look bad when I texted you. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. This yeah, is rats. <laughs> and next, you know, you look up into the heavens, and Patrick Mahomes does what Patrick Mahomes does. Yeah, he definitely does, man. You're absolutely right. They 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 folded. There's there's no there's no way to go around it because, and I think I, I think more so they got too comfortable uh, as well. I think uh, alongside of getting folded, they got comfortable. It was a moment in that game, Sebby. I know you remember in the second quarter when they were up twenty-one nothing, and they were deep down in in uh in their territory, not like in in the red zone. And instead of it was fourth and one, I believe. And instead of going forward on fourth down and continue to put the foot on the gas pedal, uh, they decided to kick the field goal. And I and, and Bill O'Brien, I was I was actually surprised he made that call because I think him making that call, he actually gave Kansas City some life because twenty four nothing is a three a three possession ball game for as elite as this offense is with Patrick Mahomes. A three possession ball game is absolutely nothing. And so after that happened, you know, Kansas City finally woke up because you're right, Kansas City. Kansas City, to be honest with you, were uh, it was nothing that Houston was doing in the first quarter on, on, uh, when they was up 24 nothing. It was all Kansas City's doing. I mean, it was like four drop passes in that first quarter that stopped drives on third down. That it would, That's not what Houston was doing. That's what Kansas City lacked to do. So you're right. Houston did not play. Uh, Houston did not play well defensively all game, in my opinion. And if, if Kansas City would have caught some passes in the first quarter, they might have had a 60 piece put on them. But um, you're right. Absolutely. After they, after Kansas City settled down and and, and got the flow. They started scoring, and the, the ball started bouncing their way, and they started getting some turnovers uh, to get the momentum right back in their favor. And once they once they cut the lead so back so fast, it's not even the fact that they came back in the game, Sevy. It's how fast they did it and how how quickly they were able to just turn the tide. Yeah. It was 24-0 midway through the second, and by the end of the halftime, Kansas City had the lead. That's demoralizing mentally for a road team that knows they're already coming in un, un, uh, undermanned and being the underdog. So, yeah, you're right. Houston did not play well. Um, I think this was more of Kansas City showing their dominance and Kansas City uh, flexing their muscle more so than, than Houston. Not. I think Houston just ran into a juggernaut. When Kansas City's on and Travis Kelsey and all these weapons are playing like that, oh, they, he un, absolutely he was unguarded. The linebackers, Mike. safeties had no answer for Travis Kelsey. That's the best I've seen them look in the last few weeks, to be honest with you. But, uh, yeah, when, when Kansas City's offense is rolling like this and Patrick Mahomes, and Damian Williams with that running game is is on like that. 
I, it's not too many. I only it's not too many defenses, including Houston, that that has any shot with them. So, um, I think this was more about Kansas City waking up, and once they had the momentum, they kept their foot on the gas pedal. Whereas Houston, when they had a chance to keep their foot on the gas pedal, they played complacent and they settled instead uh, instead of continuing to go. I was impressed as well with Aaron Rodgers, what he did in Lambeau. This oh, yeah. is the only the third time in Aaron Rodgers' career he had bye week, right? And so now to me, one reason I picked the Packers to win, mm-hmm. and I think you did as well, is because I, later on, Aaron Rodgers turns 37 this year, right? And around this time, it becomes about legacy, right? Aaron Rodgers has nothing else to prove. We know he's probably one of the best quarterbacks to ever lace him up, talent-wise. But the awards and the Lombardis haven't matched up to that. And and so what he'd done so far in his career in, in a subpar year into his standards that, that was pretty pedestrian, we looked at him and said, okay, you got a great roster around you and you have a defense around you. What can you do having two weeks to prepare to do that? And I was thrilled what he did. Uh, you know, Devontae Adams, right? <laughs> I don't think the I, – I, I guess Pete Carroll didn't do their job. <laughs> And and, and 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 scheming the Green Bay Packers lone weapon is number seventeen, and they let that guy be the guy that hurt him. Eight receptions for one sixty and two TDs. That continuity between him and Aaron Rodgers was phenomenal. I thought Aaron Rodgers played a, a hell of a game. It wasn't, you know, one of those historic games that we've seen Aaron Rodgers do in the regular season, sometimes in the playoffs, but it was enough to get it done. Aaron Jones on the ground and the defense, Mike, the Smith yes. that you love so much, Preston and Zendarius creating havoc and getting pressure. They didn't have to sack him, which they did, but you, you want to make Russell Wilson think in that pocket. And you want to be able to, to have him improvise, although it's scary, but you want to be able to think that a rush is coming and then have to think of demons and nightmares coming after them. And they really wrecked havoc. So I was impressed with Green Bay, what they done. And a big thing for me is I thought this was important for Rogers' legacy career. Because when you start getting 37, 38, 39, the postseasons, they start to get shorter and shorter. They, 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 they absolutely do. And you're right. The, the Green Bay Packers had a great game plan against Russell Wilson. I was impressed. I was impressed because they took away most of his running lanes. Like any time where he didn't have a – Oh, he, anytime he, anytime he was looking downfield and he didn't have anybody to throw to, he was looking for those scrambling, those running lanes in the pocket, or outside the pocket, and you saw a spy always there around, around waiting for him, waiting for him to get out of there. So you're right. There was a great game plan. The Smith brothers put on the show. They they were wreaking havoc all weekend. Um, you're right. Aaron Rodgers. Devontae Adams had a, had a great game. 160 yards receiving. It was a great game. And uh, you're right. He's their lone. He's their lone guy to make it happen. And I was I was impressed with how Aaron Rodgers looked as well because he was very efficient and he didn't force anything. He didn't he didn't force any any bad throws and he, he pretty much protected the ball and and kept and kept drives alive. Um, but the, I think they're going to struggle a lot against against San Fran and, we'll, and I'm, not, I'm sure we'll touch on that later. Yeah, we'll, we'll touch on that really soon here, uh, to me, but. Seattle got a problem to me, and, and kudos to them because, Mike, they, they were on oh, yeah. run that third and the beginning of the fourth quarter. I, I, I saw Russell Wilson uh, dialed in, and I thought this was a recipe I thought they were going to use earlier. They were going to throw first and run second. They came out the gates with Marshawn Lynch didn't trying work. to run against that stout front. With me, wasn't different because now, remember early on in, in Russell Wilson's career, they were winning games because 
of that Legion of Boom. Well, now Seattle wins game because of the play of Russell Wilson. He's no longer a game manager. He's a game changer. In that third quarter, they let him loose. They made adjustments at halftime, and, and, and I thought a, a comeback was mountain. DK Metcalf, guys like Tyler Lockett was getting loose. They cut the lead to five, but, of course, down the stretch, they, they couldn't find a way uh, to close down and squander that uh, deficit that they had there for score. But they have some, they have some problems, Mike, because now, obviously, they've, they've given the keys to the organization to Russell Wilson. You got to give this man a running game. You, you got to. I understand Carson is hurt. You can't rely on the 36, 35-year-old Marshawn Lynch now, although how great and physical of a runner he is. You can't, you can't gamble and expect this is the same Marshawn Lynch. He may have the attitude like it, but I think his best days are behind him. You got to give this man a good run game, and, and O-line is another issue. So if you want to build around Russell Wilson, which they've invested a lot of money on, I think there's some question marks now going into the offseason. Pete Carroll. You got to do something. You're absolutely right. You bring up some great points about the help around Russell Wilson because he's carried this franchise for the last few years as far as, you know, putting them under the wing and really taking them further than they they would have been without him. And uh, you're right. But um, I I, I will say this when it comes to Seattle. When I I paid attention to Seattle this year, yes, they had a lot of uh, great quality wins this year. But it was something missing with this team. This is something that missing that that that, that told me that this team wasn't going to be as formidable as as they looked on paper, and um, and it, it showed against against Green Bay. You know, a, a team in Green Bay who hasn't uh, dominated competition very much this year was able to go up twenty one to three on them in the first half, and and that's been something that Russell Wilson and the Seahawks have had trouble with for the latter part of the season. They've always behind. had to play starting off slow, and then Russell year. Wilson has to come in for the rescue and save the day. And it's pretty much similar to what we saw against Green Bay. Now it almost worked; it almost happened, but it just shows you when you get behind too much against a great quarterback and a great team, it can come back and bite you. So you're right; Seattle is one step away. They're missing some uh, some other key pieces in order to be a very formidable team, especially on defense as well. You know, get get a, a few more pieces in that secondary. Uh, uh, picked up because Aaron Rodgers was able to have his way with the secondary for the most part in that game. But um, yeah, you're right. Seattle, Seattle needs to build more around Russell Wilson. What they have is not enough to be a Super Bowl contender. Yeah, Marshawn Lynch was just a quick signing because the running back, the depth on the running back team at the time, uh, a couple weeks before the season was over, uh, it, they were down to one running back. They were so they were so decimated uh, with that at that position that they needed to do something. They were in desperation mode. That's why they called on Marshawn Lynch. But I think moving forward, I think they'll have uh, much, but hopefully they'll have better luck as far as injuries are concerned. But see, I think Seattle needs to build more around Russell, like you said. And uh, you know, th- this season they were just caught in a, a desperate situation. Yeah, definitely they were caught in a bind. We expect Rashad Penny yep. to be back. Chris Carson would be back. Uh, I, I maybe yeah. it's a tight end, somebody that can occupy the middle field Something. that that they that they need and let speedsters like Lockett and Metcalf as he develops get deep, but. The question marks for sure for Seattle. So it sets up this matchup, championship weekend. At 3.05, you've got Tennessee. They've got the hottest team in football, the hottest back in football, I think, of all time, going into Kansas City. Your thoughts about this? Uh, the, the wow, early this early game, game on Sunday, Sunday is going to be amazing. I know uh, you got Tennessee, a team that you know nobody expected to get here at this point with the physical defense, the physical offensive line, the, just that they win in the trenches. And when you win in the trenches in the playoffs, you more than likely come out on top. So this is going to be a physical game. Uh, this is going to come down to whose style of play uh, takes over the most. Is Tennessee going to be able to run the football, control the clock, 
and, and keep their defense off the field and keep Patrick Mahomes on the sideline? Or is Patrick Mahomes going to have his way, get a big lead early, and force Ryan Tannehill to, to throw the football to win this game and take, take Derrick Henry completely out of it? Because I think Kansas City's only way to really win this game and dominate this game and keep Derrick Henry afloat is to get up early, score early, and score often. If you score early in this game and you force them to have to throw, Derrick Henry will not be as effective because the running game will not be as consistent as it needs to be. So I think it all comes down to whose style of play, who's able to play their style of game, who's able to master it, and who's able to keep it going for uh, longer stretches of the game, and who's who's able to be consistent with their with their game plan. And uh, if, if I had to pick somebody right now, I'm going with the Kansas City Chiefs just because they're at home, they have the momentum. Patrick Mahomes is playing out of his world right now. I think Tennessee will be very physical. Tennessee will be well, – this will be a very close football game. Tennessee will be right there with them. Derrick Henry and this team, they haven't quit all season, and I don't expect them to lay down against against this juggernaut of an offense uh, this, this, in this game. Hats off to what they've done this season, but I think their season comes to an end on Sunday. I think Patrick Mahomes and this Kansas City offense, Andy Reid and this team is just too much. And I think uh, this Kansas City defense who's uh, – can make plays at times, and, and, and I think this this game right here will be a game where we look at this Kansas City defense and say, okay, this this was a game where they really stepped up and made big made time plays for them. So I'm gonna roll with the Kansas City Chiefs. Well, when you talk about Patrick Mahomes, right? Let's talk about some of the more elite passers, as in terms of arm strength we've ever seen. You got Brett Favre, Dan Marino, and Rodgers. I don't think the league's ever seen this, right? This guy can make every throw. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's a ridiculous, Mike. You know, uh, off off guard throws, uh, side arms, rolling left, throwing uh, across his body, off one back foot, right? And the things that Patrick Mahomes can do is uncanny and, and it's just unbelievable as well. But I talked about this, Mike, the physical play, and the physical brand of football that this Tennessee Titans team play. They get the personality of their coach, hard-nosed, a farmer, had to earn everything that he got, take the persona of their head coach. And for one, if you think, Mike, if you think what Derrick Henry has done throughout this postseason run cannot be sustainable, you're nuts. And I expect that to continue. Mike, I I said this, Kansas City is going to have to see 22, regardless if they want to do it. We, I saw uh, there was a thing I saw with Eric Dickerson. He told me that um, pre draft, Derrick Henry came to see him in Chicago or something like that. And he said, Oh, I'd like to meet this young man. He looked at him and, and, and just look at his size and his girth really surprised him. They list him at 6'3. He said he's a legit 6'5. They say he's 242, 245 area. Eric Dickerson said he's more like 260. And you see a, a moose yeah, running yeah. like a deer out there. And and I, I think that's what people that's what people get amazed as well, Mike. You see DBs when he gets to the second level, you're like, oh man, we gotta we gotta tackle this beast to come down. I think this happens. And the reason why I think this is what happens is come playoff time, Mike, the more physical team up front and the more physical team defensively always wears you out. And it's not Derrick Henry in the first quarter and the second quarter you got to worry about, Mike. It's when in the third and fourth quarter that defensive line get gassed 
and and DBs have to worry about him coming to the second level. And all of a sudden, those three, four, seven-yard carries that he was getting early start getting to 30, 60-yard uh, right. gashes. That's what you saw in Baltimore, right? It, it, that's what you saw in, in Baltimore. You saw Matthew Judon early. It, those carries kept on coming. And then when he gets those 35 carries a game, 30 carries a game, you get to that second level. You see Earl Thomas want no part of number 22. I think that can be sustainable. I think they can take that game plan and head there to Arrowhead and get a win. I'll say this. Tannehill got to make plays. If you think you're going <laughs> to win this football game only throwing for under 100 yards, right. you got another thing coming. But can I see Tennessee's brand of football head in there? Because it's the third and the fourth quarter that's going to wear down this weak offensive uh, defensive line of the Kansas City Chiefs. Chris Jones may not play. His status is up in the air. I think that's huge for them up front. And so Derrick Henry is going to have his way. I expect them to kind of do what they've done thus far defensively, confuse these quarterbacks. I'm picking the upset here, Mike. I think this is just destined a six seed. One of these randomly years, always got to make a run. I got you. I'm not mad at the pick. It's a very, it's a very, it's a very calculated pick because of how they've looked. And you're right. The, the, whoever wins the trenches will usually come out and win the ball game. I just feel like this is Andy Reid and Kansas City's moment to actually make it happen. You know, last year coming off of how they lost in the AFC Championship game. You know, losing to Tom Brady like that, not scoring in the first half, scoring 31 points in the second half to come back. Almost winning the game, you know, that D forward offense offsides that uh, that Brady threw an interception on that could have sealed it for him. Just getting to that point last year, losing the overtime, and then coming back with the same opportunity against a different ball club. I just think Kansas City understands and recognizes the magnitude of this moment and knows that this is the this is a great opportunity to get to the Super Bowl, a great opportunity to make it happen. And uh, uh, Andy Reid has had some bad luck in it over his career as far as getting over the hump and making it happen. I think this is the time when he finally gets it done. I'm, I'm, going, I'm going to roll with Kansas City. All right, sir. That's a great point you make there. I think Andy Reid's a Hall of Fame coach. His resume, what he done in Philly, and of course, obviously in Kansas City, and now this might be his best chance. You talk about legacies. He's not going to get a lot of these opportunities as well, so um, that, that might be huge for them to finally get over the hump so you've got kc heading to miami i've got tennessee this miraculous run that they've done heading to miami you look at the nfc side of the equation 640 game late game and rogers uh, a california guy he grew up loving the niners right you grew up adoring mr joe montana all those great uh years with the a great run that the 49ers had in the 80s four super bowl titles in the 80s span he looked up and looked at those. Well, he goes back home in near California where he grows up. He got to go against that vaunted front of the 49ers. Mike, you mentioned early that you don't think this is a good matchup for Green Bay. I don't think this Explain is a good matchup why. for Green Bay because with the as elite of a, of a defense that San Francisco has, I don't think you can go in there with the limited amount of weapons that they have offensively. You know, yes, you have Aaron Jones and Devontae Adams. But outside for Aaron Rodgers, when you look at, when you look at everybody else, that's it. I mean, Devontae Adams is the lone big-time receiver, and San Francisco is too formidable of a defense for you to be going in that uh, that uh, uh, small-handed. So I think the, the combination of the pass rush, the combination of you know how 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 elite how quick they can get after the quarterback, uh, we saw it in the regular season when they dominated them thirty-seven to nine. It, it was bad. So I think this could be a bad matchup. But in the playoffs, things change. The game gets slower. Uh, team scheme uh, scheme for each other for, for your best. They find they try to find your weaknesses. 
And uh, I think I think even though this is a bad matchup for Green Bay, uh, I, I see them. I see them. I give them a very good chance to compete and and, and possibly come out on top. They're definitely there. I, I'm gonna go this as well. I don't think it's a bad matchup, but we saw uh, this was yeah. a Sunday night game in a regular season. They got beat up thirty yeah. to eight or, or something like that. Uh, I think the the score was George Kittle had a field day. If he's not the best tight end, or him and, and Travis Kelsey, right. exactly. they're probably a one a two. This guy can block. He's a mismatch nightmare. He can run any route in the route tree. He's unguardable. We saw what he did against Green Bay. And so I, I'm I'm rolling with the Niners here as well. Kyle Shanahan, what he does, this creative, innovative mind that he has, getting guys like Debo Samuels, Emmanuel Sanders open. He's going to find ways to get Kittle matched up against DBs and linebackers. And that could bode well for them going into Green Bay. I'll say this. It won't be 30 days. It won't be as lopsided as we saw early on. Aaron Rodgers will find ways to keep the cheeseheads in the ball game. I think Devontae Adams and Aaron Jones, who wasn't a factor in the first meeting, can be a factor in this game. But I'm rolling with the Niners at home. They're going to feed off that crowd. D Ford is back in that front. DeForest Buckner. You know uh, Aaron Rodgers wanted no part of Nick Bosa. We saw what he did in the first meeting. So I'm going to go ahead and take the Niners here. And I think Richard Sherman, for all the chirping he's been doing thus far, we tend to forget this guy's having a Hall of Fame career, right? Uh, only Deion Sanders and Darrell Revis has done in the postseason what Richard Sherman's done. Think about this, Mike. 13 games Richard Sherman has played. Zero touchdowns allowed, three interceptions. Two of those returned for picks. Him matching up with Devontae Adams, I think that neutralizes one uh, side of the field. I like the Niners here because their defensive scheme, they can get after Aaron Rodgers, and I think they'll be able to That's a great point, Sebi, and it's also, it's also a great point to mention that they can get after the quarterback without bringing the extra extra guys. You know, they don't have to bring the uh, linebackers every play. They don't, have to, they don't have to bring a safety off there. They, they, that's a plus, but they don't need it because they have such elite pass rushers on their defensive line that, you know, the, the secondary and the linebackers can just do their work in the back half. So, yeah, you're absolutely right. I think this – I picked Green Bay – Versus Kansas City Chiefs the preseason to be my Super Bowl pick. Uh, I like Kansas City to go, but right now I'm just not confident in the matchup that Green Bay has to go to the San Francisco team that's been formed that. Now, I will say this, though, Sebi. Um, when you're dealing with a young football team like this San Francisco 49ers team, when you get this close to a big-time game, like this close to a Super Bowl, it's, 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 it, it seems, seems like, like one of those situations where you, yeah. you come out antsy. You come out very fired up, and you might not play the – the best game that you're accustomed to playing. And, and you, when you're dealing with a veteran uh, organization like and a veteran quarterback like Aaron Rodgers that understands this moment and has been in here plenty of times, you know, you might run into situations where, he, you know, he, he's making the plays that you need to make and he's more confident and more poised uh, than, than a Jimmy G might be or than his San Francisco team might be. So that's something to look out for as well. But I, but I, do, I do believe that the, San, that the San Francisco 49ers are just too loaded on defense and too much, uh, uh, to, I think I think they'll be able to to to, uh, to stifle this offense for Green Bay uh, too much. I think I like San Francisco to win this game. Oh. Definitely in the trenches, it definitely bodes well. Advantage of uh, 49ers up front against that offensive line of, uh, of the Packers. Now, I think there is a, a recipe for Green Bay to win. I think the Prestons, the Smiths, I think have to be the best player on the field because we've seen Jimmy G have some games where he's been rather mundane. And so not, not the great Jimmy G team. We can get pressure on him. 
maybe get him get antsy and gimpy in that pocket, maybe a couple sacks, maybe that clock will start running in his head and thinking, okay, okay, I can't hold the ball football quick. And so that can lead to turnovers. That can lead to short fields for Aaron Rodgers to capitalize on. So there is a recipe for Green Bay to win. I just think they won't be able to do that because they'll be having, able to have success running the game. So you've got KC in San Fran, in Miami. I've got the Cinderella run, the Tennessee Titans against the San Francisco 49ers. And I know my pick oh, is bad ratings. Oh, man, definitely <laughs> Can I also make this one point about, about San Francisco Green Bay game, Sebi? San Francisco, uh, Jimmy G, he's been very successful. He doesn't. He didn't turn the ball over as much this year, but I think one another key for Green Bay to possibly win this game is their 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 secondary and their linebackers have to be opportunistic when they get the opportunities to to uh, to get these interceptions. Jimmy G has shown over this season that he's that he will get that he can give you some opportunities and make some ill-advised passes. But there are a lot of teams that have not capitalized on on those and dropped a lot of picks. If Green Bay can get very opportunistic with this. With their defense and, and capitalize and actually make the plays, oh, that's that then that bodes well in their favor. Yeah, definitely bodes well there as well. But we'll look to see this weekend championship weekend how things evolve for the rights to head to Miami here in Sunshine, Florida, February third on Fox Four. Super Bowl 54 there for sure. But when we come back, we wrap things up, Mike. We shift gears to the NBA. Some big things to talk about. The Jazz, red hot, 13 winners of 13 of their last 14 and touch on the power five of this last week. This and much, much more live inside the SETI Podcast Radio Show. Hi, I'm Alwyn Morgan Jr. with Precise Tax and Accounting Services in Central Florida. And I would love to give a special thanks to the Sebi Podcast crew and all that they do to keep me update with everything sports during this busy tax season. Do you find yourself overwhelmed by the changes in our new tax law? Or would you just love to have the peace of mind that comes with dealing with a well-informed professional? If this sounds like you, please reach out to us for any of your tax, accounting, or small business needs and be sure to let us know that Sebi Podcast sent you. Thank you. Sebi Podcast Radio Show. Mike, one of the more dark horses teams in the NBA this season were the Utah Jazz. High expectations on them after their acquisitions they made this summer. They had a slow start, Mike, but all of a sudden now, Quinn Snyder's defense is really starting to get engraved in this team. When you can turn defense into often that offense, that bodes well for a team this young that can run behind Donovan Mitchell. Talk to us about what Utah is doing. Winners of 13 of their last 14. Well, what, the, what they've done is they've got players confident within the system. You know, sometimes when you get new players and you're trying to get them acclimated, it takes some time early on in the season. You're going to go through some growing pains throughout that process. But once you settle down and once everybody gets, you know, affiliated and starts to get more and more comfortable around each other and players start to get more understanding of, you know, which spots they're going to be in and things of that nature, that's when everything starts to play because this system that Quinn Stider has built and Utah has been phenomenal. You know, they pass the ball very well. They share it. Uh, the, guys, the guys don't force shots. 
mainly in this offense. Everybody's Everybody. pretty much handling, handling their own and taking care of controlling what they can control. And then when, and once you do that, and once you get, and once you tailor that in with the offense of guys like Bogdanovich and uh, um, and and things of that nature, and, and guys guys like Burks, Mitchell, of course, you know, Gobert in the paint. When you got guys like that, that added offense to this team. The, the, the numbers are going to continue to increase because they, they just continue to look for each other, man. They, they don't care who goes off. They don't care who has the big game. Donovan Mitchell is an unselfish young star. He doesn't care about the limelight every game. He just goes out there, handles his business, and this team uh, spreads the ball around, and they're starting to win ball games. Uh, they're starting to show you how formidable, formidable of a team they can be uh, once, once the playoffs get around because when you have Rudy Gobert down there in the paint, man, it's going to be hard for – Teams to score in the paint, and then you got uh, uh, players that can hit outside shots consistently for this team. So right now they're showing you how uh, competitive they can be in the playoffs and how how they can really give teams in the West a run for their money. Because in the past they've always had the defense, the defensive intensity, but offensively is what they've lacked when it really came down to it. And then now that they've added some weapons to this team, uh, this team can be definitely scary moving forward. All right, so we do this every week. The Power 5 rankings, so we look back again. Nothing has changed for the Milwaukee Bucks at 35-6. and six. You got fo- that followed by the Lakers at 33-7. and seven. LeBron James with the absence of Anthony Davis. Kyle Kuzma had a huge week this week, and the absence being the second man and the second guy to step up. And then, of course, you got my Boston Celtics. We're coming in at number three. You have got the flip-flop. Now you've got the Miami Key jumping the Clippers at four. And the Clippers coming at five. So nothing has changed but the Miami Heat and the Clippers flipping spots from four to five as well. Your thoughts on that, Mike? Yeah, Milwaukee, I'm not I'm not surprised with Milwaukee continue, continuing to prosper. And then, then you know, the Lakers, they, they've been playing well over the last few weeks. I'm, I'm not surprised. But, um, you know, I, I'm pretty much happy with this top five this week. You know, there's been some some teams that started off slow that, that, have, had, that have definitely picked it up over the last few, uh, last few like you said, with Utah. Obviously, Oklahoma City is to be in that mix. Miami has been playing exceptional basketball. So, you're right. I'm, I'm very impressed with the top five, and I have no problems with it because, you know, team, teams are really starting to pick their intensity up, and we're getting some very competitive basketball over the last few weeks. Yeah, definitely there for sure. A couple of teams dimmed down a little bit. You've got uh, Red Hot, the team, uh, Luka Doncic and the mm. Mavs that were really hot to start. They themselves at 10. Uh, as well, but the Utah Jazz, who's been red hot, they have the biggest jump, twenty-two to thirteen, including, of course, the Oklahoma City Thunder, who's been very good themselves. Oh. They go nineteen to fourteen, so they've been impressive as well, there for sure, uh, as well. Looking at this, uh, coming into the All Star break and 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 trade deadline, of course, any teams in particular that you you need to make a move. Uh, well, as far as the top teams are concerned, I think the Lakers need to make a move at another uh, knockdown shooter. Uh, it's, a, it's a couple of players that, that they that they can definitely uh, make that happen for. Uh, as far as some of the contenders that need to make moves, I, w- I wouldn't mind seeing the Portland Trailblazers make another move to possibly uh, boost their roster and help out, help out what's going on with them. Because I think with another another key piece, they have a legitimate chance to make a, a deep run in the in the Western Conference. And also, and also, I think the Philadelphia 76ers need to make a move as well. You know, the Sixers, every day, they've lost six straight on the road. Um, you know, offensively, they're struggling quite a bit. And I think in order for them to really, really be the team that they want to be, because defensively, they're, they're, they're stout. They, they have a stout defense, and that can take them a long way. But we all know that in the playoffs and in big-time moments, you got to put the ball in the hole. 
and they've struggled to do that. So I think Philly, Philly definitely needs to make some moves. I'm gonna go with Portland and definitely um, the Lakers. Okay, definitely there for sure as well. Obviously, Boston needs a my Boston Celtics need a guy yeah. in the interior yeah. of our team. So that's definitely looking for a big there uh, 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 for sure. But I agree with the Los Angeles Lakers. Um, obviously, the hot name is Andre Iguodala. They're waiting for him to be bought out of Memphis. Um, Memphis, who's been a very, very uh, surprise team this year, might want to keep their hands on Iguodala once he gets back healthy. So I'm not sure if he'll be an intriguing piece. You've got Drew Holiday's mm-hmm. name swirling around uh, as well. Um, my team is Indiana. Uh, obviously, they've been great without Oladipo. Well, bringing back Oladipo is kind of like a trade deadline. Right. He's been out <laughs> for all these, all, he's been down right. for all these months. But he's set to make his debut uh, January 29th. Um, I, I think going into the second half of the season, right before All-Star break, that bodes well for Indiana, who that can be a very dangerous team. I don't think any Eastern Conference team, maybe in the early rounds or second round, want to be able to face an Indiana with a fully healthy Victor right. Oladipo being the catalyst for that team um, there as well. So a lot of things and a lot of narratives uh, to touch upon on the NBA. Yeah, right? definitely, man. We, we're just really getting started. You know, we're getting to the peak. And a lot, of, a lot of teams are stepping up, getting comfortable with each other. The San Antonio Spurs, you know, they started off the season very slow. And then they've, they've quiet as kept, uh, picked it up. They picked up their play over the last few weeks. Got to give a lot of kudos to Greg Popovich. Uh, it's a lot. You know, I get the Charlotte Hornets, even though they aren't winning a lot of games, I got to give it to Terry Rozier because he's been playing very well. Ever since you know Devonte Graham gave us that that a major uh, spark to start the season, you know I've been I've been very impressed I've been very impressed with a lot of these teams. Port, Portland as well, they played very well over the last. I, and I'm not gonna lie to you, Sebi, I gotta give credit to the Lakers because without Anthony Davis, you know LeBron James, then uh, this team has had some a few dominating wins over the last few weeks, and they even went into OKC on Sunday without LeBron and Anthony Davis and dominated that game. Kyle Kuzma has stepped this game up ever since his 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 name has been in trade talks. So yeah, it's been a lot, a lot going on right now. Kyrie Irving came back on Sunday, and um, they, you know they, you know they, they're they're playing against Utah tonight. But um, they definitely, it's a lot of storylines. I'm, I'm definitely, you know, I'm definitely happy to see him. So it's a lot of storylines in the NBA, and, and we're we're really just getting started because we haven't even hit All Star break yet. Yeah, not at all. Ty Lue, yeah, having a sound <laughs> taste in his mouth for the Cavs firing him, saying that he won a title there. But of course, um, the Lakers as well. No rushing getting AD back. Obviously, they've been hot. So I, I think they can definitely hold the fort down until second half of the season. You want a fully Anthony Davis coming to the home stretch for the Western Conference playoffs there for sure. Quickly before we leave here, Mike, uh, not a lot of topics that we talk about in the majors, but talk to us about what's going on with the Astros. Obviously in an investigation right now being tampered with looking at catchers and pitchers play, pitching calls and uh, at home plate. But also in 2018, the Red Sox did the same thing with Alex Cora when they won the title with the Red Sox led by Chris Sale and that elite pitching that they had as well uh, um, there. So the Red Sox and the Astros really under heat right now by the MLB. Astros got suspended for a year. Expect the same thing to happen with the Red Sox. As a matter of fact, breaking news now, Alex Cora, the current manager for the Red Sox, has parted ways with the ball club oh, wow. due to these investigations yeah, going on right now. So a lot of crazy stuff and narratives. Uh, so what, how, how do you think this is going to play out? 
not a lot of things that we talk about the majors, but can they have their World Series titles taken back from? I, I think they absolutely can. If if there was there if there was a con- conclusive evidence showing that throughout those championship runs that that this was going on and then the MLB had just found out about it, I think they absolutely I think they absolutely would make a make a decision to make that happen in the future. But this is a dicey situation for both teams. The Houston Astros, who you know they've had success over the years when you when you look at them, but this is just a, a very dicey situation because when you when you when you get caught with the cheating scandals like these, the uh, the the head the head up the higher ups for like for these companies have to set a precedent. They have to come down hard. Like Houston, the Houston uh, GM and coaches had to and managers had to get fired for a year. It was suspended for a year. They they had to set the tone for this and let them know this is not okay in our sport. The MLB has one of the big, like top sports as far as that we hear all the time as far as cheating scandals and things of that nature. We hear this all the time in MLB. So now when, when you hear something that's made as egregious as this, you know, the commissioners are going to be even more uh, even more susceptible to come down harsher and harsher on everybody. So, you know, seeing Alex Cora part ways, I think he understood what was coming and what, what, what was going on. So it's a dicey situation. It's not, it's not, it's not good for the league. It's not good for either organizations and, you know they they they're gonna have to go through this this tough spell right now, but hopefully they both can. Re- I'm sure they both can recover from this in the future. Two teams are are, are looking at this. The Yankees. That's why the right. Red Sox keep winning the the division all the time, <laughs> and then the Astro. And they're saying that's why we can't get over the hump against the Astros. They've been doing this, and then Clayton Chris on the Dodgers and the other, and saying that's why we haven't right. won the World Series in three years. So that's been going but, on. So blood ceiling. <laughs> but ceiling and the commissioner of the uh, 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 baseball or um, sport definitely has a lot of things uh, to handle. But Sebi, but Sebi, I will say this: that's that's the car, that's that Houston Nationals. That's you know going against my Washington Nationals in the World Series. I know I, mu- I must say I, I I believe you know that's the karma for you know what happens when you when you when you when you go about things the wrong way. You know you weren't you weren't blessed with it with an opportunity with to win the championship. You lost four games at home. And 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 a team who was an underdog coming in came in and beat them. That's that's the bad. That's the karma for you know putting that bad energy out there. I'm just saying. Yeah, just saying. You know. <laughs> yeah, that's true. The great Beyonce says, "What goes around Every time. comes back around." <laughs> there for sure, as well. Any last thoughts, Mike? Before we head out. Yeah, here? definitely, man. Check it. Check it. Check. It's a big. It's a busy week this week in college basketball. I'll be covering the Georgetown versus Creighton game tomorrow at the at the Capital One Arena. And I'll also be in Richmond on, on Saturday covering the VCU versus St. Bonaventure game. So, you know, uh, it's a big week this week in college basketball. Got a lot of stuff going. But, yeah, yeah, that's that's what's on my plate this week. Oh, yeah. <laughs> college basketball extraordinaire Michael Gray there for sure. I'll be tuned in, getting ready for championship Sunday. I'm excited to see two styles of fights in both matchups. That's going to be interesting for me to see there as well. And as we wind down today on a great evening in the Central Florida area, we want to say so long from now inside our great studios of WNSC. You've missed some of our recordings or some of our episodes? Have no fear. The SEBI Podcast experience is still here. You can check us out at our website at sebipodcast.info. Again, that is sebipodcast.info for any of our audio segments on Spotify and iTunes and some of our streaming visuals on our YouTube website and links there at sebipodcast.info. Some cool merch. If you want to DM us and send us all of your email requests, 
we'll be sure to get them here on the Sebi Podcast Experience. And remember, folks, whether you're listening on air or viewing online, Sebi Podcast is wherever you go. And that is the slogan.